Thank you for joining Sumter Chapel's weekly podcast. We hope that this message encourages you and speaks life to your spirit. As always, we pray that this podcast will further God's kingdom by seeing one more made new. Now, let's get started with today's message. So leadership in our culture uh, many times focuses on the amount of influence someone has or the kind of public popularity of someone. A lot of the times that's how we, we look at leadership or we measure leadership or we talk about leadership in culture. And that's certainly one way of leadership. And it's certainly the most prominent way that we see leadership uh, accomplished or done or lived out. However, what we see in Jesus is something a little different. He has a public side to his ministry in his life. There's a public leadership part of it. But the majority of the way Jesus leads during his time here is in, is in relationships that are in smaller groups, is in private. He does most of his leadership and most of his ministry in one-on-one interactions with strangers. They weren't strangers to him because he was still God, but people he didn't live with on a consistent basis. And then those that he did live with on a consistent basis. That's where most of his leadership principles get taught and get transferred to people. It wasn't in the large groups. In the large groups he did, he taught. Um, he certainly gave it, uh, teaching and leadership advice and all that sort of a thing, and they got to see him lead in those contexts. But the majority of his leadership was actually in very everyday ways. In everyday scenarios with everyday sorts of people, he was teaching them how do you lead. It wasn't always in kind of the public moments that many times we, we will glorify in culture, these kind of public ways of leadership. And they're important. We need to have great public leaders. <laughs> we don't want to have poor public leaders. It's not, that's not what we're saying. But it's, we're saying that public leadership's not the only kind of leadership. And ultimately, it's actually not the important part of leadership. The public side of leadership is, is a result, hopefully, of the private side of leadership in someone's life. And so this idea that God desires to use you to lead others, to grow his kingdom, is a truth. So the, the difficulty for each of us is just how and where and what does that look like? What does it look like for God to empower me to lead others? Is it a, a public thing of some sort? Is it a private thing? Is it a both and? Who? You know, during seasons of life that changes. You see this in um, memes online or different things where like a stay-at-home mom will quote from theologians of previous days or, or, or pastors of previous days who have said, you know, the greatest disciples you can make are those in your own home, right? That, that the greatest ministry you have as a parent is to your own kids. And that's true. At some point, though, that's, it's not as true. <laughs> At some point, um, your kids do grow up and they move out and you've had about the most amount of influence you're going to have up until that point. And you can still continue to influence in small ways as they become adult children, but it's not the same. You don't, you don't have the same capability to influence them. And so, so even in seasons of life, how God wants to use you to lead can change. The kinds of people, the amount of, le- the amount of public leadership versus private leadership, all of that sort of thing. And we see in Scripture where Paul begins to talk to leaders about how God, about how the Holy Spirit wants to use them in Acts 20. 
And we read a larger portion of this part of Acts 20. Hopefully this week you've been reading, but we've read a larger portion than what I'm going to read this morning. This morning I'm going to read from 28 to 38, where it's just Paul's discussion to the Ephesian elders. This is what he says to those Ephesian leaders. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day, and my many tears for you. And now I entrust to you, or I entrust you to God, and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who are with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed, blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would impress upon us, just as you used Paul to impress upon these leaders that he was speaking to, that you would use these same words he spoke to them to impress upon us your great desire to empower us to lead, to lead others, to lead those that are in our lives that you've entrusted us with, and to lead them in very specific ways. Make us new, make us into your image, continue to form us into the image of Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. So this chapter, in chapter 20, actually starts with a pretty miraculous story. It starts with a resurrection story. If you read chapter 20 in Acts, at the beginning of it, we get a story of someone who dies and then is resurrected. He actually um, falls, if, if my memory serves me correctly, falls um, from a building and dies. And um, yeah, it says he fell asleep and fell out a window and fell to his death. And yet, Paul says, don't worry, he's alive. God raises someone from the dead, and let's think about this, raises from the de- someone from the dead from a, 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 for a fairly arbitrary reason, as far as we can tell. He didn't die of anything horrendous. He died of his own falling asleep and falling out a window. It's almost humorous, if we're honest. And yet, God chooses to raise him from the dead. The power of God didn't just raise Jesus from the dead. He had raised people before Jesus from the dead. He raised people after Jesus from the dead. The power of God, the very power of God's presence, longs to raise people from the dead, physically, and even more than physically, spiritually, at a deeper level, a level of their soul, at the level of the deepest part of who they are, longs to raise people from the dead. That's important that that story was right before this. It's important that it was right before us because it reminds us of the truth of the gospel, of exactly what God wants to do. Even when people don't mean to get into the mess that they're in. This guy fell asleep and then fell out the window. (laughs) They don't mean to get into the death that they experience. It just happens as a part of life. They end up in the mess of sin, in the mess of the death that sin, sin creates. Addiction, broken relationship, whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether they meant to get into it or not. 
It doesn't matter if we would say it was their fault or it wasn't their fault. That's not what matters. What matters is that God wants to take someone who is dead and make them alive, right? To make them new into the image of God. We know that that is the core, that's the essence, that is the truth of the gospel. What Paul does in his teaching with the Ephesians el- Ephesian elders is basically say that this message of the gospel isn't about me and that I'm supposed to take it to people constantly, all the time, that I'm supposed to be finding ways that God wants to use me to share this message of the gospel with people. He said, I've taken it upon myself and I've lived my life that way, but now I'm, it's almost like a passing of the torch. I'm putting it on you now. God is putting it on you is really what's happening. And Paul had already kind of done that with them, with these leaders of the Ephesian church, but he was kind of re-emphasizing it. Partly because he's about to go to Jerusalem and die, and he kind of knows that. He's not, or or actually not Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he ends up in Rome. But he kind of knows that. He knows the trajectory he's on is he's going to get killed. The the Romans are going to take him out because they don't like what he's doing. So he may never see these people again. So that's part of what he's doing is kind of a last words to the people before he leaves. But I think what he's really doing is important for us today because what he's doing is he's sharing principles of how God wants to use us to lead other people. How he wants to not just save us for ourselves. That's part of it. Part of our salvation is for us so that we no longer have to live in the mess of this world. That he can rescue us out of that. Give us his spirit. Allow us to begin to live in ways that aren't hurting ourselves or hurting others. Right? That's true. But that's only half of what he wants to do. The other half is what he wants to do through you. He, he wants to do a lot in you, but he wants to do a lot through you as well. And he wants to use everyday people to lead in everyday kind of ways. Leadership is not always about the big public displays of leadership. That's part of it. It's, uh, part of it is, yeah, we need to all go this direction. And so someone stands up and says, okay, all of us, we're headed this direction. And we see that displayed not just in the church. Right? We see those kind of leadership uh, principles and the ways that people lead all around. You know, that part of the image of God is in humanity, even outside of his people. We see that in the military. We see it in crucial situations where there's a disaster and someone takes the lead and says, here's shelter, let's go. That needs to happen among God's people. We need leaders that step up and say, hey, God wants us to go this way, let's go. So that's important. We don't want to diminish those leadership roles. But the church for too long, especially in America, has diminished the leadership roles of the rest of God's people, I think. For the last generation or so, we've gotten caught up maybe in a culture where we think only the people that are doing the crucial leadership are the ones that are on stage or the ones that are saying, hey, let's all go this way. They're the ones that are really leading. What the rest of us are doing is not really leading. It's the role for whatever reason, of the entirety of God's people has, has shifted from the way we read about it in Scripture. In Scripture, we read about the leadership of God's people being this mutuality of leadership, that you've got to have leaders at every area of the, of the body of God, God's people, of the organization of God's people, for it to accomplish the goal that God has put us on this earth to accomplish, to take the gospel 
to this community and to this world. And we've got to have all sorts of people leading in all sorts of ways. That's why the image of the body is used. That's why the image of a family is used in Scripture. You know, they, Paul and God could have inspired writers like Paul to use other images, could have used images of governments or organizations, but he didn't. While the church is an organization, and we want to do that well, the church ultimately is a family or a body. That's how God wants us to look at, look at it. He wants us to act like a group of people that have all been called to lead this world to him. We become those who lead others to him, and we do it together, and we might do it in different ways. We likely will do it in different ways. Not all of us will fulfill the same roles in how it happens, but we're all going the same direction, and we're all doing it for the same reason. And so it's how is God empowering me to lead in this specific time, in this specific season of life, around the specific people I'm around. That's where we each have to kind of figure that out in our relationship with God and in our relationship with God's people. And the three principles that Paul teaches in this passage to these leaders that he kind of leads them with, the kind of three, these are the ways you need to lead, that he leads them with that are still true for us today are these. That we need to lead in our relationship with others. So shepherding is, is what he talks about, guarding and shepherding others. We need to lead in our stewardship of the gospel, how we actually are sharing the gospel, how we actually are, are talking about our faith and our relationship with God. And we need to live, lead the way in our sacrificial giving, how we show the world that we're willing to work, not just for our own selves, but work for the sake of others. And Paul sets himself up as the example for that. So we need to lead in our shepherding of others, our stewardship of the gospel, and our sacrificial giving. And he leaves us with these principles. And we, he says that these are the ways, if we lead others well in these ways, that we will see the fruit of the kingdom of God. We will see people come to faith, and we will see people's lives transformed, and then we will see them start to step up through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and lead in the same ways. It's this multiplying effect of God started to get into kind of my young adult um, years. That leadership, I, I really had bought into the idea that leadership really only happened by those that were positionally the leader in a group of people, right? That had been given the positional authority of leadership. They were the pastor in a church. They were the CEO of our organization. They were this, they were that. And that's how I thought about it, right? And so if I wanted to be a leader, I needed to be in the position of leadership over a group of people. And so, um, and, and so that's how I thought about it. And God had to just completely transform my thinking on, on that and on that aspect of leadership. That, yes, that was a way God wanted to use people and potentially use me to lead, but that they were, there were crucial ways he wanted me to lead that were in the everyday way of life, the relationships of life, that would actually produce results in ways that couldn't be done in the positional place of leadership. That the positional place of leadership could do things, but that the positional place of leadership sometimes limits the ability to lead also in ways that God wanted me to learn how to lead. 
And so I remember my first year in college, um, I was standing, this is just on the street, I was standing in a Christian ministry that I had um, started to visit on campus, and I had been in church my whole life and, um, and had been in a youth group and all that sort of thing, and I was standing out of the room, and I was watching people lead from the stage, and I, I had this thought that just popped in my mind where I said, I could do that. Like, it just popped in my mind, I could do that. And it was a very, like, prideful way of saying it. But it, like, popped in my mind, I could do that. I could do that as good as they're doing this. Like, that's what, it, that's what happened. And I remember God, um, that whole year led me through this passage in Matthew where Jesus teaches his disciples, you, you won't be like the Gentiles. You won't be ones who lord your authority over people. If you want to be first, you're going to be last. If you want to be a leader, you're going to be a slave of people. And for a whole year, Jesus, that passage... He led me through that passage for a whole year. And it wasn't that he didn't want me to lead publicly one day. Obviously, he had plans for me to do that. So that's not what God was doing. He wasn't removing that idea from my head. He was shifting how he wanted me to understand it. He wanted me to know, okay, yeah, I may put you in a position like that one day, but it's not going to be how you're thinking about it right now. It's not going to be why you're thinking about it right now. And I'm going to need you to learn how to actually lead the way I led if you're going to lead like that or from that stage. And that, that was crucial in my development at that stage. If I had not had God take me through that and allow me to understand the fullness of how he desires to use people, I could have easily became a shallow leader, someone just leading from the stage someone only wanting to point people in the directions they should go without doing it themselves, all of that sort of thing. And yet, that's not what God has for us. He has for us to become whole people, to become people who are inwardly being transformed in ways that externally then is leading others. That's what it means to be empowered, that he actually wants to put his power in us so that then that power can come out of us into the lives of others. And that's what he wants to do in your life. And it may be that in this season of life, it's only like a few people, it's only one other person, right? It may not be some sort of public position of leadership. It may be what we would consider more of a private position of leadership. It might be a public position of leadership. It might be a way he's pushing you to start to lead people in ways that's public, that then a group of people is looking to you for leadership, that you're leading a small group of people, or you're leading a ministry, or you're... You're doing something in a larger way. It may be that he's already positioned you somewhere, and now he wants you just to use the position of leadership that he's given you in a way that allows him to be at work. There's a lot of different ways God wants to use us to lead. It's just whether we see it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we actually give in to the Spirit wanting to use us in that way or not. That's usually where the rubber meets the road. It's not whether God has put you in a place to lead or not. Usually, he, usually God has always already put us in places where people are looking to us for something. At least one person is looking to us for something. And it may be basic necessity of life, like a parent with a child. <laughs> but we know that they're actually looking to us for more. That God has actually put us in that position, not just for what they think they're looking to us for, but actually what we know they're looking to us for. They're looking to us for more than just for us to be their parent 
or be their boss or be their friend or be their classmate or be their whatever relationship. They won't say that most of the time. Sometimes they don't even recognize it in themselves. But as people filled with his spirit, we know that it's true. And so we begin to live into, how am I going to lead this person, these people? How am I going to lead others? How is God empowering me to lead them in a way that they'll become like Jesus? Just as he is leading in that way, just as he is forming me in that way, and I'm being led to be more like him, how is he now turning around and using me to do that in the lives of others? That's how God wants to multiply his kingdom. That's how he wants to grow his people in this family of faith. It's not just through public ways. It's not just through events or a large gathering or anything like that. It's through all of the everyday ways that we're leading other people in our lives. And so he will use public ways. He'll use events and he'll use worships and he'll use gatherings of God's people and fun events and all of that sort of thing to gather people. But more than that, he wants to use us as people in the lives of other people, shepherding them. So that's a relational aspect, right? That we're caring for them. That's what shepherds do. That we're guarding them. That's something a shepherd does is they guard the sheep. That when they see danger ahead, they let the sheep know, hey, we need to go this way. It's a part of what your role will be in people's lives. As a believer, you start to become someone who, who you see danger on behalf of other people. You see, hey, you're going down a path that's going to hurt you. You're a sheep that's about to wander off the cliff. Can I help you not wander off that cliff? You'll end up being that person in other people's lives that they won't even see the danger that's coming, but you will. God will give you the eyes to see things in their life that they don't even see. And you're able to step in and say, you may not want my advice, but here it is, because I think you need to know this is what's coming. So guarding people, caring for them, sheep, uh, sheep and their shepherds have these relationships that are just deep. And so God calls us to start to have those kind of deep relationships with people. We need to steward the gospel well. How are you stewarding the gospel? How are you taking the story of your life, of how God has transformed you? How are you taking your knowledge of of what he has done in the lives of others and how are you taking just the message of the gospel the story of salvation the story of god dying for humanity and what are you doing with it are you sharing it it's not doesn't mean you have to go around knocking on people's doors trying to get them to make decisions that's not what we're talking about but are you sharing it in the way that you act in the way that you talk are you actually verbally at times about jesus and about faith and about the gospel what are you doing with the gospel? It's the greatest, next to your relationships with other people, the next greatest resource you have is the gospel. How you relate to people is first. Your shepherding of people is huge, but the message of the gospel, the actual telling of the gospel is the second greatest resource you have. And God says he will use those words, the message of the gospel, to transform people's lives. And then the third thing is the resources. He's given you resources, some sort of resources. And especially in America, we have more resources than anyone else. Our poor are rich compared to the third world countries, right? So we have resources. It's not whether we have the resources. It's how we think about those resources. Why has God given me these resources? How does God want me to use these resources? 
In what ways can I use them to bring joy to my life and to the lives of others? To just allow people to experience the love that God has for them through the resources that I have. How is God calling me to use them to serve others? And even like Paul, how is God calling me to use them to sacrifice for others? Because the greatest display of love, we know this to be true, the greatest display of love is sacrifice. When someone knows that you've sacrificed for them, that you've gone out of your way to help them, to show up in their time of need, that's the greatest display of love. And a lot of the times they'll question it. They'll go, why would this person do that? why, Why would they do that? It'll actually cause them to potentially be interested in the gospel for the first time in their life. When they look at someone, they say, why would you do that for me? You didn't have to do that. And you're able to explain, well, because someone else did something for me that I didn't, I was never going to be able to do. Because Jesus was able to do something for me I was never going to be able to do. And he's changed my life because of it. And so these three ways that Paul shares with these Ephesian elders in Acts 20, the shepherding of other people, the stewardship of the gospel, this sacrificing and sacrificial giving are ways that God is looking to empower us to lead. And so what will we do with it? Will we respond to the Holy Spirit in our life and His empowering us to lead?